1: alarmed conscience. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would look with great mercy upon your people today. I know your love is abundant. You have not withheld any good thing from us. I pray now by your spirit that you will quicken the word that is spoken. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I need to give you just a bit of background. Can you turn that volume down a little bit? Thank you. Just a little background. In my regular reading of the scripture, I've come to Psalm the 32nd chapter. And when I finished reading it, I was ready to start with Psalm 33, which is in some ways a continuation. And the Holy Spirit said, no, go back to Psalm 32. So I went back to Psalm 32. I'm in the custom of reading at least 10 chapters a day, sometimes more. Every time I tried to move forward, he said Psalm 32. So I have sat for the past week, reading and rereading and praying through Psalm 32. And then the Holy Spirit began to just break it open for me. I want to share it with you. I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit has said to me. Now, you recognize that in the regular order of things, we should be speaking about fasting. We're still continuing the series of Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. This was our passage for today, beginning with verse 16. When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There are three disciplines outlined in the Sermon on the Mount, jammed together in the sixth chapter. One, giving, opening our hearts and giving, not being tight, seeing the need of others and responding to that need. That's a discipline of the Christian church. The second discipline is prayer. And I would add to that the reading of scripture on a daily basis. The third is fasting. Now you recognize that all three of these disciplines require a certain level of asceticism. It requires a certain divorcing of the flesh in order to walk in the spirit. It, It requires a bit of unpleasantness because our time does not belong to us our money does not belong to us. It requires that we go beyond what we feel like and begin to act in ways that we feel like not acting. That's a basic tenet of the Christian faith. If we do only what we desire to do, we will follow the will of the flesh and be destroyed. Now, I don't need to say this to you all, but perhaps I do. The Christian faith is a rational faith. It is not an insane, random expression of some mystical God. It is a historical faith that goes systematically through the times of history with a revelation of who the God of heaven is. He has fully revealed himself finally at the cross. It requires some thought on our part to process what the Christian faith is. It has been dumbed down to such a point today that it's barely recognizable when we look at the scriptures. The American religious faith is more like Hinduism or Buddhism than it is to the Christian faith of the Chinese church. The Chinese church, under its intense persecution, as there's now a new sweeping crackdown on on the underground church in China, those people would see more likeness to the discipline of Buddhism than they would to the American Christian church. So, today I want to walk with you into some very deep water. I urge you to take pencil and pen. If you did not come prepared, next time come prepared with a Bible and with paper and pen, because I'm going to unveil some things to you today out of Psalm 32 that you will not remember and you need to go back and review these issues. Psalm 32 happens and can be accomplished in the life of the New Testament Christian through the basic disciplines of giving, prayer, scripture, and fasting. We'll go into that more as we move forward next week. But now let's look carefully at Psalm 32. In the first two verses of Psalm 32, there are given to us four basic evils. When I was a kid, just a young boy trying to learn the times tables, I gave up learning them because I thought there were an unlimited number. It came as a shock to me as an adult when I discovered there was a very limited number. And if I memorized just a few, it was easy. But as a child, it seemed like they stretched to the horizon and beyond, and there's no way I could ever learn all of that. I faced that a number of times in school. Sometimes it felt like the reading I had to do stretched beyond my ability to read, and so why read it? Just go get cheat notes somewhere. Four evils are outlined. Verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. The word transgressions literally means in the Hebrew to revolt, to pass over a boundary, usually to cross over the boundary by expansion. In other words, I increasingly feel bigger about myself. I feel like I can do anything as I expand and push myself out I can do it if I want to do it. And so usually transgressions are passing over a boundary through expansion or to break away, to finally say, okay, I've had it, I'm out of here. Some of you would understand what I'm talking about when I say in my marriage there was a time when if the argument got too intense, I would just shut it off and say, I'm out of here. And then my wife made me in a time of calm recollection, reflection, make an agreement that I would never again leave when I was angry. It was very helpful. Transgression is when you just get mad and leave. When you break away. The blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sins, that's the second evil, sin. Are covered. The word in the Hebrew here is to not doing what is commanded a crime, an offense, a choice to deliberately do what I should not do. You recognize the similarities between these evils. A transgression is going over the boundary. Verse 2, blessed is the one whose sin, the Lord does not count against him. The word sin, in this case, is iniquity, literally meaning perversity. In simple terms, to bow down to what is crooked. To bow down to what is crooked. To give what is crooked authority in my life. I'll go more into that in a moment. And the fourth evil is the last word of this this verse number two, in whose spirit is no deceit or guile. It means literally a person who shoots off suddenly in their own direction, a person who deludes others and tries to convince them that they are not shooting off that way, but in fact they are. It is to betray. It is treachery. It is falseness. It is idleness. These are the four evils that are given to us in the first two verses. Now, to remove these evils, he's going to give us, in these first two verses, three solutions. Blessed is the one whose transgressions, whose revolt, who passed over the boundary, who broke away and did his own thing. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. The word forgive here literally means to lift up. So if a glass of water is on this table, I pick the glass of water up. I hold it in my hand. Is the glass of water on the table? No, it's in my hand. So he's saying, to, for, to be forgiven is to have lifted from your soul whatever it was. It is utterly removed from you. Whose sins are covered whose sins are covered sin is the second evil and the sin has to be covered that word covered literally means to plump up to plump up in other words sin comes and carves out parts of your soul sin comes and destroys parts of your very being when you are forgiven that disease is lifted up off of you, but then you are left like a leper with a leprosy removed, but your fingers eaten away, your soul eaten away. He's saying whose sins are covered, whose being has been plumped up or restored by God, so that no longer are you deformed with the leprosy disease that ate you away. In other words. In new covenant parlance. To be made righteous. To be restored. And then. The third solution. Is in verse 2. Blessed is the one. whose sin The Lord does not count against them. Blessed is the one. Whose perversity who has bowed down to what is crooked. Blessed is that one. The Lord does not count it against them. And that word to count is literally to be inventoried and find no remaining element of that crookedness remaining in your soul. Let's stop for a moment and reflect on what I've just shared with you. It's absolutely clear to me, from the time I was a very small child, deceit was every bit a part of my life. And in my early days, I was very tender of conscience and would repent of that deceit. But as I grew into teenage years, if I needed to lie, so what? I was protecting myself. If I needed to be deceitful to cover something, if I needed to be deceitful to protect someone else, then deceit was a part of my life. Deceit has been a very key part of my battle through the years to be washed and made clean with Jesus. Now, maybe none of you are deceitful. If you tell me you're not, then I'll know you're lying. We are all deceitful creatures. And the root of self rises up to do whatever is necessary to preserve ourselves. And tell me, who's the person you should have called this week that you've been constantly aware you should have called, but you haven't? Or that thing that you've constantly been told by the Spirit to do, but you haven't? And your deceitfulness is basically a mind-numbing Emptiness, where you say, I don't have to do that. It's too uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. And so we fill our lives with other activities and we deceive ourselves, thinking that we're fine. But in fact, we're not walking in obedience to the will of God. David is opening this psalm by saying, How happy. How peaceful, how wonderful is the person who has had lifted from their life all sin, all bitterness, all anger, all all deception. Everything of sin has been lifted from that person's life. He's saying, how how blessed is that one? How happy is that one? Whose sins are, are not eating away at the soul, but rather you've been restored. And you now know you are in the path of the living God of heaven. And how many of you today, if the Holy Spirit comes and does an inventory of your life, will find no deceit in your soul? This is what we're called to. But then he dives right into the issue in verse 3. And this is where we need to go. When I kept silent. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. We're now coming to see the horrors of a guilty conscience, a sense of God's wrath. The word silent here literally means to engrave on the soul and say, this is who I am and I can't change it. So I'm just not going to look at it anymore. I have engraved on my soul. It's impossible. I've engraved on my soul. I can never gain the victory. Jesus will just have to accept me like I am. I engrave on my soul the bitterness of my heart. And I say, now God's going to have to do something because I've engraved this on my heart. It means literally to engrave to let alone, to be deaf, to be deaf. To say, I don't have to talk about this. I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to admit this. I don't have to talk to anybody about it, and I don't have to talk to God about it. This is just who I am. He's saying that person who holds that position Their bones will begin to grow old, or literally their bones will become brittle and will break. Their bones will not support their body anymore. And the pain will be so intense. It's translated in the NIV groaning, but it's literally in the Hebrew, roaring in anguish and pain. Day and night, day and night. Miserable. And now we have to do one of two things. We either have to admit who we are, what we've done to God, or we have to numb ourselves out and become deaf so that our conscience can no longer speak to us. And I hasten to add many people that I have had to minister to in this situation have turned exceedingly bitter. And angry. I was sitting with a friend. He called me over. He said, Sit with us, Pastor. I sat beside his wife, a beautiful woman. He was exceedingly serious. He said to me, My wife just received news today that she has stage four cancer. Would you pray for her? Do you know what it took that man to say, Pastor, would you pray for her? Because many times I've sat with this man and I've confronted him with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he has scorned me in his agnosticism and has told me there's nothing rational about being a Christian. But now, as his wife has pronounced stage four cancer, all he can say to me with tears in his eyes, Pastor, please pray, please pray. There was no anger in his heart, there was no bitterness. I said, we need to talk again. I gave them my phone number. I encouraged them to stay close in touch with me and I with them. I pray that through this time of this stage four cancer, this precious woman is going through chemo, exceedingly painful. I pray her heart will not turn bitter, but that her heart will turn to the Lord. Neither follow the way of Jesus Christ. They've lived their whole lives as pagans They're in almost 90. I guess what I want to say to you about this, the hand of God is heavy upon any person who refuses to admit their honest condition before him. The purpose of every trial we face is to draw our heart to Jesus and to cause us to flee From every power of Satan that would come against us. It is not the will of God that we should suffer. It is not the will of God that we should be blocked with a barrier. Jesus is the gate. He is the way. What blocks us from entering into that gate or that way is our determination that we would rather die than confess. And I have buried many people who died refusing to confess. In the bitterness of their heart, they went to their grave, unwilling to bend their knee before the Messiah and fully disclose the condition of their heart. When I engraved my sin on my heart, when I said it's hopeless, then my bones wasted away, My roaring, my pain, my crying, my groaning was all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer, or literally in the Hebrew, my moisture all dried up. My moisture all dried up. Have you ever driven across the prairies of Wyoming, Arizona? It's not unusual going across those prairies. I've done it many times where suddenly you'll come to a carcass, but it'll be just the bones. Not so much now because people have started picking the skull of the cow up because they want to take it home and put it on their mantle, but it's all dried up. There's no moisture left in it. When the moisture is all gone from our soul, we die. When the Holy Spirit comes to us, he brings moisture. I'm going to say more about that in just a moment. This is the condition of the person who refuses to acknowledge their sin. They want it engraved on their heart that they cannot change, that everything is impossible, that the way is blocked up. It's all God's doing. It's all his fault. If only he would do things differently. And God is saying, would you stop engraving that on your heart? Will you just admit who you are? Will you just finally get honest with me about your sin? and the condition of your soul? Will you get honest with me about your deceit, about your transgressions? I'm a just and righteous God. Would you get real with me? Will you admit your condition? Will you stop engraving your condition on your soul, testing that you're blocked up and you're going to be destroyed? I don't want to destroy you. I want to save your soul. When a person says to me, as they did last week, Pastor. Someone who called me after the radio, pastor, I said, what's wrong? Their voice was so urgent. Pastor, I said, what's wrong? I said, I can't get rid of my sin, pastor. And without even thinking, I just said it. Then you're lying to God. If you'll stop lying to God, he'll take your sin away. If you'll get honest with God, I mean, usually I'm more gentle when I talk to people. But this person was just in my face, pastor, I can't get rid of my sin. Well, stop lying to God. Stop engraving on your soul that you are blocked up and that you just have to stay this way. And God's just going to have to accept your sin. No, he's not. No, he's not. And if you keep that position, your bones will begin to rot away. And your moisture will begin to dry up. You'll begin to die. And finally, you'll be gone. Verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you. I love that word. The word translated acknowledged here, yada, to know when I yadded my sin to you, when I became completely intimate with you, God, and did not hide anything from you. You understand, to know is to have intercourse with, to become one with. That's what the word literally means. That's the word that's used for husband and wife. He's saying, when I acknowledged my sin, when I yotted my sin to you, when I become so intimate with you, God, that it was skin to skin, there was nothing that was hidden. There was nothing that was put under the covers. Everything was plain. We were together, God. When I acknowledged my sin to you, when I yotted my sin to you, God, you did not And did not cover up my perversity, my crookedness, when I didn't pretend anymore. And I said, I will confess. That word confess, it's again the word yada in the Hebrew. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I will yada with God. I will get skin to skin with God. I will not allow anything between us. Everything is going to be shaved off bare. Everything is going to be totally open to the eyes of God. I'm not going to try to pull over anything on him. I am going to be totally unveiled before him. I said, I will yada my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. That word sin again is iniquity, perversity, bowing to what is crooked. So we have two very opposite positions. One, where I engrave on my heart, God is impossible. I can't get rid of my sins. I can't break through this barrier. Everything is blocking my way. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm hostile. I'm in a bad mood. Verses, I yotted God. I uncovered everything to God. I didn't hide anything from my God. I got skin to skin with God. I told him everything. I laid it all out. Everything is open to the eye of God. He sees it all. Verse 6, therefore, let all the faithful, that is those who walk in fidelity with God, Those who don't go back to the crooked ways, let all the faithful pray to you. That is, when the conscience is alarmed and the heart is soft, pray to God while you may be found. Now, I can tell you, you dear ones in here who are married, pillow talk is very, very important in a married couple's life. If there's no pillow talk, there's not much going on between them, they're roommates pillow talk is where everything is laid open nothing's hidden it's where the sweet nothing's are said it's where the it's where the intimacy is between husband and wife let all the faithful pray let all the faithful have pillow talk with god while you may be found before god gets up and goes about his work talk to god you'll be you'll find him in bed you'll find him in that pillow talk you'll find him when you totally open your heart and confess everything then god will be there and surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them matthew 7:24 is a play off that where two men build houses one builds on the rock and one builds on the sand and the and the waters come and they sweep the house built on the sand away and the house built on the rock stands it can't be moved why because it's yada with God. It is intimate with God. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. And surround me with the songs of deliverance. This is literally. It's describing the wife's response to a strong husband. Who is her protector. Who guards her life. This is the call that we make to God. He is our Guardian, our protector. In verse eight, I will instruct you. I will instruct you. Literally, that word instruct in the Hebrew is the verb to be. He's saying, I will be causative. I will make something happen. When we've gone through this process, we have yachted God. We have totally unveiled our heart. We've acknowledged our sin we've not hidden anything from him walking in fidelity we now pray with a an alarm conscience with a with a soft heart pillow talk with god god begins to use the verb to be he begins to create in our life and in our situation what he needs to create for us remember jesus is the gate not the barrier i will instruct you and Teach you. Teach you. That word teach, literally, it means to flow with water. It means to flow with water. And as the water is flowing, to point with his finger. There, go that way. Now, I've had some revelations this week that are astounding me. I went down before the rain came, and I sat by the river. A man with a prophetic gift when we first came to Woodbridge, laid hands on me and prophesied over me. And he said, the Lord is going to bear you along by the waters. The next week, the house was given to us and we moved into it. The house was by the waters, the Occoquan River. Five years later, we had to move. The landlord wanted the house back. This time, it was a house from which we could see the river. I will bear you along the waters. And suddenly, some things began to make sense to me that I'm going to try to say to you, I hope you can understand. I have watched repeatedly as the Lord God of heaven has begun, we've called it organically, but. I'm seeing also, it's not just organic, it is a stream that is flowing. My life has been in that stream of God that was flowing from the time I was a child. He has been ordering my steps. He's been calling me after himself. Now, what I have done way too many times is I have exercised deceit or guile. Remember, one of the definitions in the Hebrew for deceit or guile is to shoot off, to shoot off. And many times as God has had me in this stream and I thought I had to do something to deliver myself, I've shot off to get busy doing what I know I have to do to take care of myself. And I left the stream of God. And so I was no longer carried forward in the motion toward the goal that the Lord God of heaven had for me. And then he had to bring into my life or allow Satan to bring into my life trials and afflictions. He's had to bring discipline into my life to either recover me from where I landed when I shot off on my own. And he had to bring me back to the stream or he had to discipline me so that I would stop engraving my sin on my heart and playing victim and acting like there's nothing I can do to change my situation. I just testify to you today, I am completely conscious of being in the stream of God and being carried along the waters. I am completely conscious of that reality in my heart. Part of this was triggered by the Lord not opening another house by the water. Instead, he opened a house for me some distance away from the water. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I can't leave the water. Will you go with me if I leave the water? You said you would bear me along by the water. And the Spirit of God began to speak to me and say, the water is not the Occoquan River. The water is my Holy Spirit bringing moisture to your soul. And I am carrying you and everything is shifting in your life. Everything is shifting at the National Prayer Chapel. You may not perceive it, but everything is shifting. Great changes are beginning to occur in your lives, whether you're conscious of it or not. And the challenge is for you to go, yada, God and ask him, am I in the stream flowing of your Holy Spirit, or am I outside of that stream? Am I trying to row up the stream, or am I letting you carry me down the stream? Are you conscious today? I mean, I'll use my sister as an example, since she's prayed publicly about it. Arunjana told me, I know I must be at Tuesday night meeting, because the Spirit of God meets me. And so Tuesday night, was she in the meeting? No, she shot off in her own direction. Hmm? And she moved out of the stream of God because God, in his flowing stream, took her back to minister to her family in India. And then through miraculous flowings of his Holy Spirit, he brought her back and gave her acceptance at an exceptional university and gave her the privilege of having a paid doctoral program. Only Jesus could do that for Arunjana. But she thinks she won't get the grades she needs, as though God is weak and unable to provide for her. While her very life is being held in God's hands. You know, God is not sending her to that university for a PhD. He's sending her there as a missionary to what used to be a godly Methodist university, but now is totally God forsaken. And by grace, he's sending a missionary in, but she thinks she's there to get grades. Really? I suspect we'll see her on Tuesday night. You see, in our narrow minded engraving of our sin upon our hearts, And our refusal to yada with God. We think we have to shoot out of the stream of God. Carrying us somewhere. And I can tell you where the somewhere is. It's Mount Zion. The new Jerusalem. It's heaven. And he's carrying us. He's bearing us along. By his spirit. Bringing moisture into our lives. Refreshing us. He says, I will... I will be causative in your life, and I will flow the waters that will carry you in the way that you should go. I will counsel or advise you with my loving eye on you. You ever see a couple that couldn't keep their eyes off each other? That's how God is with you. If you have yachted with God, he can't keep his eye off you. He loves you and he sent forth a stream of the spirit to carry you along seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you i will advise you with my loving eye on you do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding and that no understanding in the Hebrew is literally a separate mentality, a separate mentality. He's saying, "Don't be like a horse or a mule that have a separate mentality that want to go somewhere different than where you want to go." You've seen the man with the donkey having its feet set, and he's trying to pull the donkey along, and he's not having much success. Would any of you today be like donkeys, feet set, saying, I don't want to go where God wants to take me. Instead, I want to go bow down at something that's crooked, something that's unclean. I want to bow down. I want to go to that lounge or that club. I want to go to that place that I know God would not be pleased to have me go. I want to watch what I want to watch. I want to fill my life and my heart with what I want to fill my life and my heart. With. With. Some of you need to fill your bathtubs up with water and then take all of your video games and throw them in. They're done. Baptize them. See if they still play. Like a mule with a separate mentality must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked but the lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him surrounds literally in the hebrew revolves around it's not stationary the the literal meaning is god's love literally begins to revolve around our life so that it's constant motion of god's love as he causatively steps into our lives and begins to order things to happen that would never have happened had we not yotted God. And it ends, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you are upright in heart. The call of our heart is that we would not oblige our Maker to have to continued recourse to afflictions and trials and severe dispensations of providence to keep us in the way or to recover us from going to our own destruction the heart of god is that we would walk in peace in rest in rejoicing but he has to allow things in our lives To bring us to the very end of ourselves so that we can see the way we have engraved our sin on our hearts. So that we can see and understand the misery, the sorrow of being hidden from God. Today, will you acknowledge your sin? Will you to God? I can be very forthright with you. I need the causative power of God to be moving in my life. I face the reality again tomorrow of going to the radio station. $200 has come in so far this month toward radio. It doesn't take a mathematician to look at that and say, we're in trouble. We have to have 300 by the end of this month to stay on radio. I can either turn in despair or I can stand in faith and know that I'm in the midst of the stream of God and know that the stream of God is flowing. And if He wants me to be in the radio, I'm going to be in the radio. And if He doesn't want us there and for some reason wants us to withdraw, then we'll withdraw. I'm going to stay in the stream of God. Satan is going to bring every attack he can against me and against you. The question is, will I resort to bowing down to something that is crooked? Will I go shooting off after something of my own? Will I retire to some familiar emotional heidi cave where I can comfort my soul, supposedly, and cause myself even more suffering and pain? Or will I yada God? Will I be intimate with God? That's where we are. I've recognized many times I have shot out and left the stream of God. And God has had that come gently, sometimes firmly, like a horse with bitten bridle, and bring me back to the narrow path, sometimes with whippings but he's had to bring me back. I pray today that you're conscious of the stream of God flowing in your life. That there is a place from which you have come and there is a place to which you are going. You have come from the city of destruction and you are on your way to the celestial city. That the streaming flow of God is carrying you. That you're not on your own. No matter what the devil has said to you and lied to you about, you are not on your own. Will you, a God, mighty King, you are the righteous and holy one of Israel. Thank you for making it so plain to my heart this week that I am in the direct stream of your Holy Spirit. And that you are carrying me along the waters, not beside them, but right in them. Lord, thank you. I pray you'll give each of us the courage to not bow down to anything crooked this week, to not shoot off on our own. But Lord God, to yada you, to be completely transparent with you, Jesus. Nothing is hidden from your eyes. Let that which has been engraved on our heart be your name, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. This has been another broadcast of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're located in Woodbridge, Virginia. You can find us online at nationalprayerchapel.com, and it also includes our mailing address and our email address. God bless you. We love you. (laughs)
2: i <laughs> Renew a right spirit within me. Close your eyes and worship. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, 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 God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Thy presence. Cast me not away. Holy Spirit, take